Alright, I think YouTube's even gonna cooperate today. Look at that. 801, John. Yeah. Especially with you on the show. That's right. We're finally on time. Welcome to Talking Heads, everyone. Episode 233, and may the 4th be with you. Uh, so I decided to get into costume tonight. Uh, thank you so much for... That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, isn't this like 217 two now? Like, you didn't stop, right? <laughs> Welcome to Talking Heads, everyone. Episode 233, your once-week live show for the latest in beer and tech news. I'm Jeff. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you all so much for joining us on this Wednesday night or in podcast form over on Anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. If you've never seen the show before, we talk beer, we talk tech, we talk games, pop culture, entertainment, usually some Star Trek. We do read all Super Chats on the air so long as they will not permanently demonetize the channel. We drink alcohol on the show, and if you are drinking along with us tonight, alcoholic or not, let us know in the chat and we'll give some early show shoutouts as we go along. Last but not least, if you'd like to take part in the super secret chat and the even more super secret after party, think about joining the Patreon. Link is down in the video description. As a bonus, you'll get exclusive access to the Discord server where you can chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all the hosts from Talking Heads, and join the awesome community that hangs out over there. And before you say anything, John, let me make sure I've actually got your audio turned on now because they were complaining that they couldn't hear you. Okay, I think we're good. Or maybe I there was you just are being right. a really good mime. Yes, yeah, you were you were you were an excellent listener, John. Yes, I, I appreciate that about <laughs> you. Oh, you know, I say it every time I put this on. This is the most uncomfortable piece of cosplay that I own. <laughs> just this right here. It it looks amazing. I, I love the way this thing turned out, but gosh darn it, if it doesn't instant headache every time it it looks extremely uncomfortable yeah yes that that is putting it mildly can't even imagine lavar wearing that where they actually like took screws and you know held it onto his head with some foam pads oh. between yeah oh my gosh i know just we're talking he probably had a uh, sponsorship from advil or tylenol <laughs> <laughs> do you have to wear this all the time Take this. Today's Before episode of Star Trek brought to you by Excedrin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how you doing tonight, John? Oh, I got I got a little bit of the sniffles. It's yeah. like for, I feel fine, but for some reason, I don't know if it's like allergy season because it's springish and there's a little bit of humidity in the humidity in the air yep. or whatnot. But man. I woke up this morning and my nose is just like drip, 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 yeah. drip. And, uh, but I, I feel fine. I, I had a good lunch. I've been drinking a lot of liquids, but just for some reason, my nose. Yep. So. Yeah. Uh, those who know me know that I, I have some, they're mild seasonal allergies, but my allergies never go away. My nose actually runs like nine months out of the year. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but right now I'm actually fighting an ear infection. <laughs> so, okay. So, so that, that headphone set is probably doing me good. Oh, it's 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 feels wonderful. Especially because <laughs> it's on my left side. And, yeah. Uh yes. But today is, of course, May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. 
uh, and also with you. Uh, uh, for, all, for all of our Catholics. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Just follow along if you don't know what we're doing. Um, so I unfortunately couldn't find like any Star Wars themed beers in my fridge. Um, although I do have one that is space themed. Uh, so I think I'm going to start with that. Uh, that is from Transient Artisan Ales. Um, not to be confused with Artesian Builds, which uh, declared bankruptcy. Uh, <laughs> Artisan Ales, Space and Time, Double IPA, 7.5%. This was sent over by good friend of the channel, Scotty. Oh, so and that kind of, well, that doesn't work out. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> wrong, wrong series. Although if you have a stout too, you can have a dark beer. That's true. Dark side. That's so true. You can always go with that. Yeah, a little bit of light, a little bit of dark. Yeah, there you go. Have have a have a cocktail to bring balance. Ah, there ah. you go. That's, That's what right. they have to show us for. That's right. Uh, John, what do you got, got uh, lined up for today? I I was actually able to go find some uh, Star Wars themed beers. I was lucky enough to hit the bottle shop today, and I think today they just came out with some. I was wasn't even thinking about it, and I just saw. I was like, oh yeah, today's that day yeah and so uh fort george came out with uh what they're calling java the hop <laughs> and uh so it is a coffee ipa i love it <laughs> so that i'm gonna great. have that um this is the single hop so i think it's what was it yeah the idaho seven with utopia Ruri coffee um, yeah, uh, 6.5%. Very nice. All right. So this one, uh, not the clearest IPA in the world, uh, but also not a hazy. Like I can still kind of see through it. It's just, just slightly cloudy. Uh, oh, this is clear. Nice firm head on that thing. Like <laughs> it bounces. Oh yeah. Uh, anyway, cheers, John. Cheers. Oh, man, I can smell it. Even with... Oh, that is good. Knows. Oh, that's Whoa. good. That is interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a it's a coffee IPA. and Do you remember Rogue came out with a... Uh, it was the cold brew press, I think Yeah, it was. Yeah, they, they have a couple of different cold brew IPAs. Yeah. Yeah. Now, those I thought were pretty well balanced. Yeah. Like, you taste a little coffee, you taste a little hot. This is uh, a hint of coffee right up front, and then a big hot flavor at the end. Really? It's, it's interesting, because the aroma is actually very nice. Uh, mm -hmm. It smells like classic Northwest IPA, you know, dirty danky yeah. um, grass yeah and then and then you taste it and you're like oh I, I get like coffee and then the ipa is like no i don't i'm swallowing you all <laughs> so you're saying there's there's a little bit of uh of coffee in there and then the ipa comes in like kool-aid man <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> oh yeah 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 just runs you over like a, a speed uh oh gosh pod racer yeah <laughs> this one um 
it's got kind of those those hints of of hazy ipas that kind of make them good where it's super super juicy and very aromatic very tropical right on the nose um no burn to this at all it is it's thick yet refreshing it's it's tropical yet not dry would you call it more unfiltered than than hazy i definitely call it unfiltered yeah okay yeah, yeah. okay yeah because it, it, even from even from here it doesn't look hazy just like yeah oh yeah it looks like right. there's just uh a, a, yeah it looks like there's just a nice body to it yeah um it definitely has a head like a hazy where it's that really firm tight bubbles that are probably never going to fade um and in fact, right when I poured it, it was coming up and over the glass and had that nice little billowing top. Oh, yeah. So it it, it has hints of being a hazy without actually being a hazy. And uh, I think it's better for it. Uh, we got a couple of uh, drinks going on already. Yeah. Quark's got a Victory Brewing Golden Monkey. Nice. So that's always good. We've seen those before. Uh, Michael Stevens has a 50 West Hazy IPA, 7.2%. Nice. Nice. Uh, I saw actually a pretty big one early on. Where'd that go? Yeah, I'm uh, looking through I here. I thought it was like an evil twin or something. Uh, okay, there's the Victory Brewing Golden Monkey. Uh, Russian River STS Pills. Uh, that's from RS. We've got Michael's got a 50 West Hazy IPA, 7.2%. Yeah. Uh, Rev's drinking a, an Ace High Imperial Apple Cider. I've actually had that one. That is uh, a pretty good, pretty yeah. good cider from Ace. Uh, let's see. Creature... Yeah, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, oh. Creature Comfort uh, from Coco Bunny or Creature Comfort Brewing, Coco Bunny Milk Porter from Alice. It was a Novella Hub had Heretic Evil uh, Evil Three Triple IPA eleven point five. Mm. Yeah, going big right away. Uh Williams got Wiley Roots Brewing Picnic for Two Imperial Stout with Raspberry and Peanut Butter. So it's just a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> it's peanut butter jelly sandwich at nine and a half percent. Just how I like my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Ooh, skull. Uh, went for the Mr. Black Old Fashioned. Oh. That sounds delicious today. Uh, Novella Hub says I'm doing my best Joey Harrington cosplay. Um, is that for the lion's hat or the fact that I was blind? Sorry. I'm sorry, Joey. I love you. <laughs> uh, that was mean as, as someone who watched him play in college. <laughs> Uh, we got original Radman is still drinking a Coke Zero, no rum. That's fine. Totally fine. Uh, Barrel-aged Cabernet from Bars and Pone. Uh, and then Tech Geek sends over $20. Thank you very much, Tech Geek. Sure. Evening, gents. Have a date with a nerd friend of mine this weekend to see if it's going to be a thing. Uh, 3D printing a nerd gift for said nerd friend, because I'm a nerd. Anyway, dinner and a movie this weekend, so wish me luck. Much luck. Good for you. I actually just bought my third 3D, uh, third 3D, third 3D printer. Um, there was a deal going on the AnyCubic Cobra Max 
which is a large format FDM 3D printer. Uh, it's 400 by 400 by 450 millimeter build volume, uh, which is almost four times the size of uh, my Prusa Mark III. Uh, so I could do like full size helmets and, and stuff to put that in perspective. That's 17 and a half inches tall is what it'll do. <laughs> and, uh, and something like 14 inches wide on, on both X and Y. So big, big, big printer, yeah. uh, $570 shipped. Jeez. Where did you put it? Uh, I don't have it yet. It'll be shipped to me within the next three weeks or so. Um, but uh, it comes assembled. You you put the the Z axis on it and just put a couple of bolts onto it and plug it in. And it auto like levels. Start... It's got a heated bed. Like, it's gonna it's... start printing your own furniture now for your house. Uh, actually, uh, I've been wanting to do for quite a long time a full Mandalorian cosplay. Whether it's act, whether it's actually uh, Dindarjan, you know, the Mandalorian or yeah. it's just like a Mandalorian inspired build. I want, I want a set of Mando armor. Uh, so that's probably going to be the primary focus of where this printer goes, at least, you know, for right now, but want to get it done by Halloween because, uh, baby X needs to dress up as something and Grogu <laughs> is like his favorite thing in the world. Um, he has a little Grogu plush that he will not go anywhere without. Every time he sees him, his face just lights up. And so I want to dress Baby X as Baby Yoda and build a little thing to go over his stroller, like the feet, feet, uh, and then walk around <laughs> as, as, yeah. as Mando. Right. Yeah, have like the stroller, mm -hmm. like looking like it's floating around. Basically, yeah, so if you were out outside, you would just black curtain everything else but that so it looked like it's floating. Right, right. That's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you have the big old rifle and you're shooting and your kids just like, yay! <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've already done a couple of test prints on my Prusa. <laughs> you could get your girls to dress up as Jawas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so one thing that I try to do here on the channel is I try to make any ads that I sell entertaining. Um, because I want the companies that are buying them from me to get a good value out of them and, and, you know, hopefully buy more ads from me. But I also don't, I don't like just doing straight reads because I find it boring and I click off videos if it's just like, yeah, check out our sponsor, blah, blah, blah. You can check out the new blah, 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 blah.com and blah, blah. Thank you for sponsoring today's video. They're boring. And so yep. I like doing stuff with the ads because it's fun for me. It's better results for the company and it's entertaining for the audience. That's a long-winded way of saying, holy crap, the writers meetings between me and Rhett for different companies that have reached out recently uh, <laughs> have been <laughs> amazing. Um, specifically, we have a Star Wars based ad coming out probably next week uh, that I cannot wait to show you all. And there were a hundred jokes that were left on the writing room floor just for what went into this video. Um, and so we're hoping this becomes like a regular thing so we can like tell a story with it <laughs> or just do like different Star Wars clips that it's so me and Rhett acting tie, out. You have to tie them all together. Right, right. Is one thing that we're thinking of um, or just like random Star Wars clips that... Uh, you know, will will work well. 
you, I, you, I can't you know, spoil you, any of them, but <laughs> it would be kind of funny if you guys did like a Rick and Morty style thing where you like just teleported into your own different ads. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, Rick, oh, what's what are we doing in this universe? <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez, Rick, this one's brought to you by Linode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, Jeff, I don't know. <laughs> I don't trust the cloud, Morty. <laughs> I host my own servers. Raid is not a backup. I tell you that, Morty. Tell you that a hundred times. <laughs> Should I do the Linode read as Rick tonight? <laughs> we'll give it a shot right here. Uh, well, that explains the lightsaber fight. Yeah, the lightsaber fight was for an ad. Um, and you're definitely not going to want to miss it because we put a lot of work into that one. That, that one was a lot of fun. Uh, anyway... Let's go ahead and get into the news. Oh, we had one last super chat really fast from Christian. Oh, there uh, we go. Yep. Uh, Christian sends over 20 MX. What is MX? I did not know. That's what I was. No, if you knew what that was. I do not. It's uh, oh, Mexican peso. OK. Oh, OK. Sends 20 pesos. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Cheers. Uh, it's not much, but may the fourth be with you. Thank you very much, Christian. And also with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I typed. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Um, all right, let's jump into the news. Starting with uh, a U.S. court has been ordered to block uh, three pirate websites, three pirate streaming services from every ISP uh, in the country. Sorry, let me back that up. A U.S. court has ordered every ISP in the country to block three pirate websites um, from being accessed uh, through the interwebs. Uh, and the order states, by any technological means available. Uh, so they're not just talking about delisting them or, or not showing them up in search results. They're saying you have to actively block this site. Uh so, uh, April 26th, the ruling came out of the U.S. District Court in, uh, in the Southern District of New York and says that all 96 ISPs that they listed, plus any other ISP that operates within U.S. borders, must block these sites. Um, not just the 96 ISPs listed, like Comcast, Charter, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, etc. Um so, yeah, the landing page is available here. Let's take a look at that. Hey, look, the website is no longer in available due to copyright infringement. So this is what you will see if you try to visit one of those particular websites. Yep. Uh, yeah. Which makes me wonder... Uh, what are these websites like? Like that—that's—that's that's awful. Which, which sites specifically were blocked, uh, <laughs> and what content were they streaming? I mean, look, the thing with the internet is DNS and alternate providers exist, and it's kind of hard to just remove something from the internet. Uh, yeah, World Peace says um, VPN. The thing is. Even if you had a VPN, you might have a hard time depending on where the site is hosted. Do you have US-based hosts or do you have 
you know, yeah. international hosting. Um, so, uh, third one's still up. <laughs> oh, you found it? Yeah. Uh, Novella Hub says we need a Spaceball Shorts fight. And Skull says, I'm your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. So what does that make us? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Which is what you are about to become. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we did many Schwartz jokes uh, that, that didn't make the final cut. Uh, we, we went for more of a dramatic piece, and I think it turned out fantastically. <laughs> uh, and like I said, I hope you guys like it too. Uh but yeah, the orders pertain to ISPs as well as DNS-based companies uh, and hosting providers. So they're even telling the hosting providers you can't host sites for these three particular uh, organizations. Um, now, obviously, this is all done under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act (DMCA), which is a U.S.-based. Uh, order only it's not an international order uh so internationally these sites may live on yeah. uh but basically what i understand is they were streaming tv shows and movies a la like popcorn tv or or different sites like that uh illegally so without license without regard for any other services uh the original complaint was actually brought by israeli television uh, and movie producers against three unknown defendants. So they don't even know who the defendants are uh, because they're hosting through third parties and trusts and, uh, and everything else. So the court has found in favor of the plaintiffs because obviously the defendants didn't even show up to court because they didn't know who they were uh, and is awarded damages of $7.65 million per defendant. Uh, so if these three operators are ever found, they have a $7.65 million judgment against them uh, for, you know, DMCA copyright violations. Uh, yeah, that, that's if they're found and ever brought to America. Right, right. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, craft computing, these sites probably feed the majority of hacked fire sticks. Oh, I guarantee they do. Uh yeah, there, there's been a number of different sites and applications that you can load on to Fire Sticks and other devices for a number right. of years uh, that are basically like offline Netflix, you know, just, hey, whatever Netflix has or had at one point in time, uh, we have it too, and we'll stream it to you for free uh, or for a, you know, low monthly payment or something like that. Uh, and so, we have the bandwidth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> If you're the first person to click on it, then sure, go ahead. But if there's 100 <laughs> people clicking on it, nope, I'm sorry, you're not getting it. It's going to yep. be crap. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it almost makes me wonder if the feasibility of peer-to-peer -peer hosting being a thing again. Uh, because remember back before torrents, we had peer-to-peer -peer traffic. We oh, had... Yeah. We had uh, you know, Kazaa and Napster and things like that. Now, your connections were still too slow to be able to stream even music files live from the site. But movies, when you download them, man, movies take like 10 minutes anymore 
or so oh, I've heard yeah. so I've heard from a friend. Uh, yeah. uh so I wonder if there would be a way to massively dis- now I'm talking talking sp- strictly hypothetical here. Uh, and any system that followed this would definitely be against the law. But I'm wondering if there's a way, technically feasibly, to disseminate hosting to peer-to-peer sites um, or peer-to-peer networks. So you host a part of a of a show, and whenever it's watched, you can be one of 40 peers that are online, and they'll grab a couple minutes from you here and there. I mean, yeah, that would be hard, and you would you would have to have a latency uh that that would be because like again back in the day from what i heard from a friend uh you know it was little bits here and there (laughs) from people's computers the thing is downloading the entire movie right now over over torrent networks takes like 10 minutes yeah like like for multi-gig yeah what i've heard is you can even stream most of those live if you uh some of them can even do it live too yeah after like oh one minute okay we'll just download the very beginning we'll catch up yeah you know um so i've heard um uh yeah i i don't know that would be an interesting thing especially now uh there's so much low latency i i guess if you were to find a peer-to-peer within say your state or region that was within you know a pretty close area or similar to say a vpn you could pick okay i know this has a strong signal maybe i don't know um or or if you could just put on latency already on your your the streaming itself of like okay it's it takes three minutes to start the stream and then the stream will start because it's downloading ahead right. of time yeah it's got a buffer enough to it's got a buffer to enough, yeah essentially um, yeah and the other weird thing with mp4 because it would likely be mp4 files that are the root host uh is you have to have the checksum at the end otherwise the video won't play and so you'd have to get the end of the video as well as the individual sections of it in order to to get it to go but i'm sure it could work (laughs) i'm sure there's some someone out there some enterprising young fellow who uh may or may not be working on that watch this channel right now yeah maybe that would be interesting theoretically only that would be very interesting It'd be a very cool theory to someone could <laughs> theoretically write that code and then just saying probably could sell it to somebody, but it could be released into the wild. Don't know, but you know, could be sold. Maybe yeah. that's what he originally intended and whoops, it escaped, you know, got released into the wild. Some, some, he, he fell asleep at his computer napping and his roommate stole it. And then named it Napster Two. Yeah. Uh, Torrent streaming is alive and well with XMBC and Cody add-on. See, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I I know Cody's still going live. I knew live. Cody was a thing, but I wasn't sure how the the base of that was done. the The last that I was aware of was uh, Popcorn TV. So. Yeah, no, I know Cody, but most of that stuff, from my understanding, is like UK, Europe based, uh, and then or like really old American, like Nick at Night type stuff. <laughs> it's like I, you're you're not streaming Boomer the streaming. latest. Got it. Yeah, you're not streaming like the <laughs> latest stuff. It's you're getting um, 
oh gosh, what's that free that free streaming service that Jerry Seinfeld was on for a while? Um, crackle, Crackle. Oh, crack. Yeah, okay. Right, well, where they have commercials already. Yeah, it, it's like a lot of that. Or Justin TV. Yeah, or just, and then and then yeah, you can go and find some that are still up that are streaming like twenty four hours a day, um, but you never know when they're down. That's the thing too. Yeah. yeah, is they'll be up and down, up and down, up and down. They're not reliable. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, so the I've FBI. Heard. What's up? I said so. I've heard. Okay. <laughs> yeah. From a friend of a friend of. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, how big of a business is email compromising attacks? Uh, one of the main ways that people exploit your personal information for monetary gain is by gaining access to your primary email address. Your primary email address should absolutely be the most secure password that you own. It should absolutely be a unique password. I'm not the kind of person that says never ever reuse passwords or never ever do this or that because unless you have a password manager and and you've gone through you know thousands upon thousands of steps to make them you know randomly generated or everything else honestly there's some sites that i just need to log into it's like it's a forum guess what my reddit password is probably the same as this other password over here for linus tech tips why because there's no monetary value associated with with those two sites and so my password can be the same. Oh no, they can post as me on the Linus Tech Tips forums. And they can also get my Reddit account, but they can't get my email. And my email is where all my money is at because that ties to my bank and that ties to my car credit cards and that ties yeah. to password resets for all of my other monetary holding accounts. Um, so your email should absolutely always be unique and follow best practices and and actually even rotate passwords, that is where you need to put your money if you've ever needed to, to double down on your account security. Um, but just how big of a business is email password compromising? Well, according to the FBI, it is a $43 billion annual business. B, B. $43 billion is scammed off of people by compromising email passwords. Oh, yes. Yeah, and that was uh, a 65% increase between July 2019 and December 2021. Uh, and that number is expected to keep exponentially rising uh, at pretty much that same rate. Uh, now, this was data analyzed between June 2016 and July 2019 and was based around 241,206 domestic and international incidents with a total exposed dollar loss of $43,312,000,000-ish. Ish. Yeah. With some change. Yep. Uh, China ranked as the top two destinations of all this money in previous years, ranked in third by in 2021, followed by Mexico and Singapore, which is where all of that traffic is coming from. Uh, so roughly the price of Twitter, right? Like we could have just banded together and bought Twitter. Uh, if, if you all had just 
you know, locked down your email accounts. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure that's what they're like. Oh, that, that's what we're going to go do. Yeah. Uh, what's really interesting is the breakdown of dollar amounts based on how the money was exfiltrated. Uh, yeah, I saw that. That was funny. Yeah, is, is this right here? Is uh, basically false investments pulled out $1.5 billion. Uh, confidence fraud or romance. Like, like uh, I just need some money to move into the U.S. And, and after that, we'll get hitched. Uh, almost $1 billion by itself. <laughs> Sweet hot milfs in your town looking for you, baby. Right? Oh, yes. Here's my credit card and my yeah. email address. Yeah, what's funny is some of the ones that you normally think of, like identity theft and credit card fraud, those are fairly low on the list, consisting of yeah. only $250 million each. Um, uh, you've got lottery sweepstakes and inheritance. You know that you've won the British lottery for $38 million. Please forward oh, yeah. us $1,000 so we can cover the, the wire transfer costs. Um, now, extortion came in at $60 million, but extortion is kind of... An interesting one because a lot of the top end ones like investment and and real estate those are forms of extortion um that is uh you know sending money under false pretenses um yeah. so straight up extortion might in this case just be uh blackmail <laughs> yeah give us your money we know what we got right well although they I'll, do I'll, have i'll email uh, your mom your only fans account Right. Yeah, something like that. Wasn't there? Uh, yeah. Then there was ransomware right under beneath that. So mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well, that that's almost the same thing though, too. Right. But ransomware could also just be, hey, we locked your computer. You want back in? Give us five, ten thousand dollars. Right. Exactly. Um, I'm actually surprised to see ransomware so low on the list. Although the the tools to fighting ransomware have gotten much, much better, even over the last two years. Well, I was uh, wondering if this is mostly like domestic and not like enterprise ransomware um, issues. They just say 241,000 domestic and international incidents, which means it's probably a mix of, of personal and enterprise and small, medium, large mm. business, etc. That does seem a little low then. Yeah, $49 million in, in extortion because I've seen some payoffs, like individual payoffs for ransomware unlocks that are two and $5 million. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I will say, like I said, over the last couple of years, the mitigation for ransomware attacks has gotten much, much better, um, especially with tools like ZFS uh, being deployed more more readily uh, with snapshots. You know, snap your fingers and you go back 24 hours to before yep. someone opened, you know, invoice.pdf.exe. Yeah, guess how ransomware gets in? Email. <laughs> Email. Uh, Ryan says, just realized Jeff never read my super chat. Uh, you sent it right during a transition, or right after a transition. So my I apologies, mean, I, Ryan. I oh, Ryan. Ryan, $5. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, let's raise a gra glass Here. to Dr. Pepper for bringing back Dark Berry, even if for a limited time. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Berry Pepper. Yes, I do like the Dark Berry Pepper. 
it is uh it's good stuff uh yeah but like i said the breakdown of all of this is is very very interesting to, to to read through um and and like i said uh there's a couple of these that are probably on an individual basis like fishing and, and extortion and whatnot i would guess those are targeting the individuals because investment fraud and real estate fraud and credit card fraud those are all forms of phishing or extortion or whatever else. So I'm assuming that they might have broken this down to like enterprise level on the left and more personal or consumer level on the right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, be careful out there with yeah. your email accounts. Um well, I'm also wondering, like, how many of the lower end ones lead to higher end ones of like the malware, uh, the phishing, mm -hmm. and then just leave something in your computer, and then it doesn't grab anything till later. Totally, uh, th that's actually been a lot more common as of late as well. Is uh, different cybersecurity attacks that an unknown executable is running on a system. But it's not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, there, there have been a couple of cases that we've even talked about on on here on the show about uh, like the Pentagon found like twenty percent of PCs in the U.S. at one point were running one specific executable that they could not trace down to who made it, where it came from, or what it could possibly do. But it was there and it was running. But it wasn't doing anything. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, very very interesting stuff here. But on a personal level, secure your email accounts. Secure anything, any account that manages financial information, and it doesn't even have to be on a first level basis. It doesn't have to be just your bank account password is is secured and and best practiced. It's the email account that serves as the password recovery for your bank account or that is linked to your other financial accounts. That account is the most dangerous thing that you can let out into the wild. Well, you also got to be careful, too, of now it's also downloading apps on your phone, too, mm -hmm. because half of our phones are automatically we have to use our email and passwords. And then it's like, yep. oh, now, especially with, say, an Android device, uh, you can download technically whatever you want with an Android device. It'll be like, yeah, you, it's unsecure. Are you sure? Yeah, go ahead, do it. Yeah, you know. Um, so be careful. It, it's even if you did best practice and you're like, yeah, but save my password and it's on my phone, so I'm good. It it could still get it. It'll go through your phone. So yep. just people just got to be wary. Don't don't be dumb. <laughs> and you know what's good is. NordPass. <laughs> NordPass. They're not our sponsor. Oh, okay. I thought. Never what? Then never mind. Don't, I, have, don't I to... haven't worked with NordPass in almost a year. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't you still have an affiliate? Uh, I, I, the affiliate is still live. If you go to NordPass.com/craft, yeah, I think it's actually not slash craft computing. Um, then yeah, I, I do still have an affiliate link. I don't know that I even made enough to cash out of it though. Oh, okay. Um, well, maybe this will do it. Yeah, yeah, maybe that'll do it. Um, yeah, you, I actually you, you, am working on a tutorial for Bitwarden 
for self-hosted oh. password management. Um, I, I've used that one before. Yeah. So I'm working on a tutorial for that. So uh, Alice sends over $5. We need to clone Jim Browning a few hundred times. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, but you know what? This video is brought to you by someone, and that someone is Linode. <laughs> Oops, rant alert. Sorry. <laughs> Today's episode of Talking Heads is brought to you by Linode. If you've ever needed to host your own sir, I can't do it. <laughs> Whether it be for oh, home geez. or business use. <laughs> oh, geez, Rick. But don't have the resources or time to invest into hardware, power, cooling, or even space. Why not let Linode host them for you? If it runs on Linux, it'll run on Linode. That includes the software for most of the tutorials on my channel, like how to run your own ad blocking, recursive DNS servers, VPN gateways, your own cloud-based Plex server, Morty, and more. <laughs> With shared CPU plans starting at as little as $5 per month and scaling up to as high as you need to go, you'll be able to find a hosting plan that fits your needs. Even if you do host your own servers, you can use Linode to keep a backup off-site. Because remember, oh jeez, RAID is not a backup. Linode also recently announced they are the first alternative cloud provider to have NVMe block storage available to all customers. In September, they began rolling out NVMe drives to all 11 of their global data centers. Best of all, storage rates will remain at the same low price they always have been. Visit linode.com slash craftcomputing and get a $100 60-day credit just for signing up for a new account. That's linode.com slash craftcomputing and thanks again to Linode for sponsoring this video. Thank you, Linode. And if I you do sign up, you I hope that's not the last one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Nope. I don't know how much I'm liking this beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's the hop. I, I am not a fan of Idaho Seven. I, I will agree with you there. Like, it's okay, but yeah, it's. For a Northwest-based hop, it tastes very much like a Midwest hop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very earth-forward. Yes, it so is. To speak. Like, like I said earlier, it tastes like dirt. Yeah. And I don't know. I know some people, like, love it. No, I, I don't know. If it's blended with other things, um, if it's more than a single hop beer, yeah. I think it's fine. It's a fine addition. It definitely gives a good, a good texture, a good starting point. <laughs> Point for a lot of IPAs. Like, I don't dislike IPAs just because they have Idaho 7 hops in them. No. Um, but you have a single hop beer with some coffee, so you have coffee grounds and Idaho 7 dirt as as your flavor profile. So. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, it, it's nice though, like, Idaho 7, you put it into a hazy, it's like, oh, I get a Northwest hazy IPA, so you get this right. juicy, dirt, earthy, you know, grass type flavor mm -hmm. so it kind of balances itself out yeah when it's a single hop and then coffee no uh it was okay at the beginning now it's just like i don't know it's it tasting more like um uh what are those not um brute ipas you remember those are like very dry yes uh this this is very dry tasting to me now hmm. interesting dirt coffee dirt coffee Oh, I think well, we did have another chat. Our super we? chat. It that? was a Sean. Sean gave us five bucks. Thank you, ah. Sean. He's drinking a Mustache Sean's Chocolate Stout by what is that? Ribald. Ribald, 
Ribald Brewery. Yes. Cheers. Thank you, Sean. Uh, Jeff needs to do the sponsor spot in a British accent. Actually, accents are not my forte. Uh, like I, I can do a pretty good count from Sesame Street. Uh, I can do a pretty good number of other voices. Um, accents, not my thing. Like, like British I can just turns into Australian. <laughs> yeah, um, and not even a good Australian. Just yeah. Just uh, so I I stay away from the accents, but I I will do characters from time to time. Uh, I have pretty good character voices. Um, yeah, I think that's about as far as we're going to get into that rabbit hole. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, Intel has made a very curious acquisition, at least an acquisition that has roots all the way back into vaporware video cards in the 90s. Um, so cast your mind's eye back to 1998, 1999. Uh, you had S3 graphics. You had NVIDIA that was just kind of starting to burst onto the scene. ATI was was an established brand, but also fairly new. You had Trident. You had... 3DFX. 3DFX. 3DFX was pretty much the go-to at yeah. that point. Um, and there was, for a glimmer in time, a little unknown company... Uh, called Glaze 3D. Glaze 3D uh, had purportedly shown off to a number of different industry insiders and and tech media and things like that a series of GPUs called the Glaze 3D 1200, Glaze 3D 2400, and the Glaze 3D 4800, uh, which essentially promised features that were probably five or six years ahead of every other manufacturer at the time. Uh, this included DirectX 7 support, OpenGL yeah. 1.2. It came in AGP format, had 4X antiscropic filtering, full screen anti-aliasing. Uh, <clears throat> only the product never made it out of the vaporware space. Uh, it was kind of announced. It was talked about in, in tech media, but no physical products ever made it to market. Now, Fast forward a couple years, ATI considered buying this company all uh, as recently as 2006, but we all remember that ATI was bought out just a couple years later by AMD when ATI started going under. Uh, and uh, the company, formerly known as Glaze, had uh, rebranded themselves as BitBoys. And you can see a prototype BitBoys AGP card here at the top of this uh, this article, complete with a four-pin Molex connector for power delivery. Uh, remember when four-pin Molex was used for uh, for power on graphics cards? Because I do. Oh, <laughs> I still use those. I use those adapters all the time. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, you got the two into the six, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It won't it won't over catch fire or anything. It's it's cool. <laughs> um however, uh the the team evolved into a company called Siru Graphics, S-I-R-U Graphics, uh, which was later 
purchased by AMD and then sold to Qualcomm as part of their Imagion IP. Um, and so like the, these, these people have been working at Glaze 3D and have gone through like three and four and five different branding business ownership transitions. It's the same group of engineers. Uh, it's a really <laughs> fascinating story. Anyway, Siru Innovations, which was owned by Qualcomm, was actually this week purchased by Intel and rolled into Intel's Accelerated Computing Systems and Graphics Group. Um, and uh, apparently they're going to be, uh, quote, leveraging their experience to design such features as mobility as a service, advanced driver assistance systems, gaming, and hyperscale data center features. Uh this is very likely to be tied in with Intel uh, XE or Intel Arch uh, graphics. Uh, so this may be the new like driver QC team, driver development team. This could also be the enterprise focus team uh, for, uh, for Intel's new Arch graphics. This could be the, the enterprise focus division of Arch. Uh, and it's a company that certainly has a track record of producing some pretty impressive things, although never quite making it to market with them. I know. I was like, were they going to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to get that uh, Glaze 3D 1200 out. It's coming, guys. It's coming. I swear. It's coming. <laughs> They're still yeah. pushing through all these different companies. All right. Who's going to buy this? Yeah. Yeah. So very interesting story. Uh, and now part of the Intel family. Yeah. So... There you go. Isn't BitBoy what Bitwit Kyle calls his followers? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. Uh, speaking of graphics technology that you'll probably be seeing sometime soon, AMD has teased a new Dragon Range uh, CPU for high-end gaming laptops. This will essentially be a CPU-GPU combo with TDPs above 55 watts. Uh, so unlike the APUs that are out right now, um, like the the 5800U and other APUs that are either using Vega or uh, RDNA 2-based APU systems, this will have a focus on higher-end uh, graphics in laptops. Uh, so not your 25 and 35-watt TDP chips, but 55 watts and up. Uh, we'll also include DDR5 support, uh, featuring LPDDR5 only, uh, and come out sometime in 2023, uh, purportedly using the Ryzen 7000 Zen 4 mobile uh, architecture. I like how the tweet also put um, the AMD uh, stock market on there. Like, <laughs> right. The right. <laughs> Invest in AMD. Right. Well, well, what's really funny is this is an article on Engadget, but it's tweeting, it, it's tweeting uh, Ian Cutrus as the source in uh, more than more. Uh, so it's taking his slides from <laughs> from more than more, uh, which is his new venture, uh, and basically just regurgitating them. Uh, so well, it's an easy way to uh, write an article. Right. Right, just a copy paste. Uh, copy paste from someone here. who did the actual interview. Yeah, I know. Adjective <laughs> here, 
Yep. Uh, comma here. Let me see. What does uh, 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 Mad Lib say I need to add? Okay, uh, there we go. Noun there. Cool. There we go. Uh, Jeremy says, don't you mean Arc, not Arch? No, I run Arch. I have to say that. Legally entitled. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I do mean Intel Arc. Um, so yeah, uh, not a lot known on what the dragon range CPUs will actually end up being other than they're going to be Zen 4 based with DDR5, although we pretty much already knew that. And, uh, yeah, if you want to read a full breakdown from the man who actually got all the information uh once you give dr ian cutris at ian cutris at tech tech potato uh at more is more or more than more excuse me good friend yeah, of the why channel. is it why isn't why isn't ian on here let us I don't know, know everything via via chat if yeah. you uh yeah also if you do want to uh talk to ian sometime if not on twitter you can sometimes find him in our patreon so make sure to sub to that because it's got lots of other cool things in there other than us. And it is only a dollar, a minimum of a dollar uh, a month to subscribe. Link is in the description below. So go check that out. Yep. Chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all the hosts from Talking Heads, as well as quite a few other creators that are on my Discord. There's, exactly. uh, there's Ian Cutris, there's uh, the net guy. Uh, who else do we have on there? Uh, Mike. Uh, my cons has made an appearance a couple of times on yep. there. Uh, yeah, lots of is lots big, of fun big spoon a content creator. Uh, he's big in the TikToks. I know so. he is big in the TikToks. Yeah, he's in like the uh, seventy thousand followers. Yeah, like that. So, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I'm gonna uh, thanks to the tick over on my uh patreon here is the actual twitter link to ian cutters's article uh and write up about that previous story so thank you the tick and thank you dr tech tech potato uh so are you gonna end up finishing that first beer john or are you just kind of i don't know <laughs> it's like not sitting too well yeah uh, and my wife is like i i think she had I don't know, either too much champagne or she's just dying <laughs> laughing. She has sent me one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I've, nine, I've heard your phone going 10, off. <laughs> 11, 12, 13 <laughs> messages in just that last segment. And I'm just like, yeah. mute, mute, mute. Oh, no. Ah. Yeah, you got that xylophone chime going on. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's my watch, actually. My, my phone is muted, but I forgot to mute my watch. And I was like, oh, come on. Where's that mute button? um i guess i guess my brother in uh california uh is having a few and is kind of drunk dialed my wife um and my son right at bedtime and tucking time and <laughs> was just doing some stuff and she's just laughing um yeah so and she had she had to share it I'll get through this. Okay. Are you almost done with yours? I, I am I am right there. So Okay. By the time you pour yours, I'll be done. Okay. Sounds good. Uh next up, I've got an Imperial IPA. 
Uh, this one is from Single Cut Brewing. Softly Spoken Magic Spells. Uh, this is clocking in at 8.6% and 98 IBU. Well, you got Imperial. Yeah. Hey, it's 0.6 above Imperial. There you go. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Single cup makes good stuff. I like them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually had one of their brews Whoa. yesterday shooting a video. And uh, yeah, didn't pour all that well. Uh, but uh, I had one of their, their hazies shooting a video yesterday. Super surprising. Oh yeah, no, they're they're. I mean, their can art is very minimal. Uh, very interesting, to say the least. Yeah, and um, but their beers are like, wow, this this is good. This yeah. Is, oh, that's good. Uh, I've only had their sours and IPAs, but so I don't know if they make anything else. That's just what gets distributed over here. Yeah, I had their Razzle Dra Razzle Dazzle Razzle Drone <laughs> Double Dry Hopped Hazy. No. Um, and, uh, it looked like a hazy, it poured like a hazy, but it had like no acid burn. And this, the only way to put it is like, a that shot of Jack kick that you get that Jack shake where you oh, take yeah. a sip of something and you're like, Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> A little, little, little Ric Flair in your drink. Yeah. Woo! Woo! <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it was surprisingly good. Uh, so I got something. Um, it is probably I got I got a can for you too. So um, it is perfect for today because of what today is and what we're probably going to end with mm -hmm. today. It is Logden's Farms uh, Farmhouse Ales uh intergalactic uh chemistry and it is the enterprise d <laughs> firing upon the death star uh this this i just had to get it so it is that is amazing galaxy and citra dry hopped sour ale <laughs> so i picked you up one of these two i was like well thank you i can't wait to have it <laughs> i don't even know what this is i was like i don't care i'm buying it just for the can <laughs> right we're going to preempt the DMCA here and <laughs> get it before you can't buy this can anymore. Exactly. Boy, that's almost like green in color. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, is it's, it's a farmhouse ale. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's... you might, you might not like it. I don't know, but it might yeah, be funky. I, yeah. Farmhouses are, are a massive, massive give or take with me. Sometimes they can be amazing, but sometimes if it just tastes like butt, I'm not going to be a fan. <laughs> Whoa, hang on. Well, very lemon tea esque. Okay. Okay. So no, 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 but no funkiness. Mm -hmm. A little, a little funkiness at the back end, but more, more of that traditional sour, but um, very lemony. Ooh. There's another single cut with a very interesting. <laughs> Ooh, right yeah. in the middle of it. <laughs> I like this. I think I'm going to start referring to single cup brewing as Ric Flair brewing. The Ric Flair. Woo! Woo! Right. 
Uh, it's the Richard Rawlings of brewing. Uh, another woo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this one's definitely more hazy than the last hazy from single cut that I had. Um, definitely has a couple more of those, those trademarks to it. Um, this is like a lemonade, but Yeah, it's like a lemonade-inspired hazy. Probably be pretty good. But then you get literally punched in the gut <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> um, like this. It's like a mango and mandarin orange kind of kind of kick. Um, it's like a it's, lemonade you'd get from like Red Robin. But it's very tart. <laughs> Like, like right up front, it's like a really delightful, playful lemonade. And then right about midway through, it just goes, you know, cup check. And, and all of a sudden it's, it's mango and mandarin orange and not the good kind. It's just sour and tart and whoo. Yeah. I don't know any other way to put that. Wife is still going. I'm gonna mute this. <laughs> now she's sending me always sunny gifts. Okay. Oh wait. Just send her back the Magnum Dong. <laughs> yeah. Because I will. <laughs> I know you will. That's why I said it. <laughs> uh, in very surprising news, that this was an interesting one to make the tech news this week. Um, was it? John, did uh, did you ever buy or mint any NFTs yourself? <coughs> Excuse me. I, I wanted to again, like I said last week, I really wanted to mint all of all of the beer posts I did, but I I just didn't have the time. You just didn't do but it. I I think I think now see that is an idea maybe for next year. How much could I make for thirty days off of NFTs of me drinking beer of my beer posts? So all of the beers, if I made NFTs, could I make any money for 30 days? Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, you might want to consider not doing that. Because apparently NFT sales have declined 92% since their peak. What? But the metaverse, Jeff. The but, metaverse. Yeah. The, the non-fungibles. Uh, apparently the non-fungibles... Uh, don't hold up well when you start explaining <laughs> what non-fungible token means. <laughs> so I don't really own it. I just own a record of the transaction without the physical or material goods to go along with it. Yes, that's correct, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, NFT sales fell from a daily average of about 19,000 this week, down from 225,000 transactions in September. When we first started hearing about this BS. Oh, gosh. I know. Yeah. What was it we were talking about? Let's see. Budweiser got in on it. Coors got in on it. Um, who didn't try to get in on it? didn't get on it. Yeah. Ridiculous stuff. Well, that wasn't... Uh, was it Steam or, or someone was trying to make like... Uh, your gameplay or something like that, all of those NFTs? No, no. Wasn't um, there a game company? There was a game company. Well, I mean, um, 
God, Ubisoft and EA both had NFT proposals that that went forward. I don't know if any of them actually did anything. Um, but uh, Steam actually came out, Valve themselves came out in direct opposition of NFTs that said, mm. we will not allow NFTs on the platform because something like 90% of all transactions that we've seen relating to NFTs have been fraudulent in nature. Yeah. Uh, that was a direct quote from Gabe Newell back in December or November. Um, so, yeah, Michael Stevens, NFT, pump and dump, baby. Uh, yeah, essentially, yes. Sounds like all the money is already laundered. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. So, can all you NFT bros explain to me how NFTs aren't just money laundering? Because if it looks like money laundering and smells like money laundering, and then the money dries up because it's already been laundered, uh, maybe it was just money laundering to begin with? <laughs> Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? It's like fine art, Jeff. It's the new fine art. Deal yeah. with it. Yeah. It's I can digitally have this. At least um, with fine art, there's material goods to go along with it. But I can put it as my profile picture. So can and, I. I know. With a right click. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised you put this on. Well, I guess it's dissing NFTs, so yeah. For dissing <laughs> NFTs, I'll talk about it. Um, look, I don't mind traditional investments. I, I don't mind... Gold and silver has always been the one that kind of perplexes me. Um, but it's it's as material as anything else that people invest in for, for long-term returns or uh, stability or whatever else. Um, well, it's conductive, too. But... Uh, you know, classic cars and and fine art and real estate. Like, I have nothing against investing your money. But if you're going to invest into something, make sure it's a tangible something. Wine. Right. Scotch. Make, make sure it... I mean, even stocks in a company are a tangible something because you own a percentage of the company. Now, if the company no longer exists, you no longer have any value. So that's kind of the the up and down there similar to if you own a piece of fine art and it goes up in a fire that then there's no you know return there the physical goods have been destroyed but if the classic car market crashes like it did you know after the real estate crash in 2008 where you could buy a lambo for sixty thousand dollars your Lambo is still worth $60,000 even if you paid one hundred and twenty for it. You've still got a, a little bit of a parachute to pull. With an NFT, what in the bloody hell makes it worth anything? You got a piece of the blockchain, baby. Piece of the blockchain. Right. What's has Rhett released his own on? Bitcoin yet? No, Rhett has not released his own Bitcoin yet. Can we? Could, could we make a craft computing Bitcoin? Or could we could we make a competing channel Bitcoin to pit like could we make a Linus Tech Tips Bitcoin but really it be ours? I, I don't think we could. I don't think we could. And I've already trolled Linus enough with the not LTT dot store, which by the way is still active. <laughs> we could we could make an LTT coin, LTTC. Mm -hmm. 
LTTQ? Now, I I don't want to be involved in any way, shape, or form with non-traditional, non-fungible currencies. It, it, BNB I don't. Coin? I don't. A bite my Bitcoin? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> you know what? If the price is right, I would buy some BNB coin. <laughs> yeah, point zero 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 right. zero 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 zero. If one. it came with with publicly tradable stock in Bite My Bits, but he'd have to incorporate first, so that would oh, be a problem. Gosh. No, that would never happen. Or right. you get part of you get part of his Camaro or uh, his uh, uh, Mustang if right. he still has it. And that garage <laughs> floor he did such a great job on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here's the thing you can invest in classic cars all you want um the the 2005 and later mustangs are never going to be worth anything because they were made in such volume uh and they were just playing off the old styling cues of the the 60s and 70s mustangs which i will say they look great i thought they looked great when they came out i think they look great today um but yeah, if you're many, invest, how, if you're investing in classic cars, avoid Mustangs because you know there's a saying that says they were doing Mustang things, right? Mustang things is the I spun out at a car show because I was revving my engine and don't know how to drive. And there's a reason it's called Mustang things is because it's always the Mustang guy. Yeah. Well, it's the cheapest muscle car you could buy right now mm-hmm. to and it comes with what now a, a six liter or it's actually I think some of them come with four liters now uh well the early there, 2000s there is actually a uh the gosh whatever ford calls it their their eco boost uh four cylinder with turbo and even that oh. mustang is not bad um i know a couple people who have them and they love them and they're great um, no, I was talking like the uh, early 2000s uh, six <laughs> cylinders. Right. Uh, those those things that, you know, went maybe 130. <laughs> uh, no, they they had they had better engines than that. Uh, I think Did the they? the no, the the base model that they came in was a V6. Um, yeah. and I think they came in at about 245, 250 horsepower. Um which for for the day was not terrible. I mean, you you look at cars like the 100, 190 horsepower. One really? What two thousand two Ford Mustang? <laughs> no, no, no. Two thousand five. Oh, Ford oh Mustang. okay. I I was looking at two thousand. Yeah, no. Oh five is the start of the new body style. The oh four was dreadful. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no, that, that, those are what I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, two ten. Two ten. Two ten. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So 210 and capped at 300. Yeah. Yeah, the V8 was 300. But here's the funny thing is the Nissan 350Z with a 3.5 liter V6 put down 285. Yeah. (laughs) Like Mustang equals crowd seeking missile. Right. Love to have a 90s 5.0. I I knew a couple of people who had some 90s 5.0s who had some Fox bodies and then later on the the, uh, transitional Mustangs. My, um, my brother, uh, my oldest brother had a 5.0. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah. Because it was tan gray 
and they <laughs> and it had matching leather tan gray interior mm. with a gold pinstripe over tan it was like and, and it had the that back window with the plastic uh oh, wings with the louvers yeah the louvers yeah oh god it was horrible i think after the first year it flew off yeah <laughs> You know what's funny is the Fox Body Mustangs have gone way up in price lately. Uh, when I was a kid, and when I kid, when I was sixteen and, and eighteen and looking at cars and whatnot, you could get like an '88 Fox Body Mustang, five liter manual oh, yeah. transmission for like twelve hundred bucks. Those cars are going for like six and seven grand now. It's ridiculous. I don't know why they don't look. I don't. I, I never liked. They always look like uh, like the Chevy. There was a Chevy that had a very similar body too. Right. There was the Corsica. There was yeah. uh, there was a couple others in there. Um, got a base model two thousand two in my garage. Says Harley. Oh, you poor man. That that bulky <laughs> bloated V six. Yeah, um, I actually wouldn't mind finding a Fox body Mustang somewhere, an old five liter, but only to put a factory five body kit on it <laughs> um, to, to literally gut it for parts and put the drivetrain onto something else. Uh, like factory five, you can buy a, uh, a kit car ready to roll. And if you have a Fox body Mustang, you use that as a donor car. And what you end up with is something that looks like an old school Cobra. Yeah. Uh, and I went, I wouldn't mind putting something like that together. I think that'd be a lot of fun and a great use of a Fox body Mustang that I wouldn't spend a thousand dollars on. But yeah. Um, I did at one point own a 1976 Mustang two. I owned a 69 Camaro RS. Did you? Yes. I did not know that about you. For two years. Yeah. Um, I, I owned it. All yeah. stock numbers too. Nice. Yeah, no, mine, mine was matching numbers. 76 Mustang 2. Um, and uh, it it ran. It had a four-speed. That was the best redeeming feature of it. Was It was uh, a, I had, I had it a, was a posi- 243 with a four-speed. I had a straight six with a posi track. Yeah. And uh, that thing was so much fun to peel out <laughs> uh, if I could get it started. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, and it wasn't paint like that when I bought it, it was in the process of about to be painted. And so it had just that primer gray on it. Yeah. And the interior was, was gutted and they're like, Oh, here's all brand new interior. Yeah. And I never put it in. So there's just the back seat, the two front <laughs> seats were bolted in, but then none of the paneling was on, but then the dashboard was there and the floorboard was there. S- sorry. I-, I said it had a 243 V6. It had a 171 V6. Ooh. It was a Cologne V6. I just looked it up. Uh, it was also available with the 302 Windsor, uh, which was the V8, which was the one to have. Um, but I had a four-speed manual. It did all right. You know, it wasn't a barn burner, but it did okay. I was upset because mine was supposed to come with the uh, uh, the headlight wipes, mm-hmm. the, the, and someone gutted them to make it look like an SS. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, the 1974 base engine did come as a four cylinder, uh, and it came with 88 horsepower. Oh, uh, the, the 1976 V six with the 171 had 105. 
and if you jumped up to the V8, you could get, I think it was like 180, somewhere right around there, out of the th out of the uh, the 302 Windsor. It was the 70s, and it it suffered from a lot of the same problems that the the Corvettes of that day did, which was the fuel emissions were were the government standards were so high that you couldn't burn fuel anymore. It was like you just couldn't do it. Um, so, yeah, let me see if I've got a. Uh, do I have a picture of one? By 1975, the Windsor 302 had dropped its horsepower to as low as as two at yeah as 122. Uh, net power ratings did not rise above 210 horsepower until the mid 80s, uh, and it was again because of government regulations and emissions. So, Jeez. yeah. Novella sends over $5. He's having a second beer tonight. Proclamation Ale, full pomp, uh, triple IPA, 9.5% out of Warwick, Rhode Island, courtesy of John Jay. John Jay does send over some very good stuff, doesn't he? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yep. No, I, I knew the 302 Windsor was pretty pathetic, but it, it it's funny going back and reading some of the uh, the the numbers from the day and going, no, 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 it was cut down even more than you think it was. Oh, I know, 122 like, oh, horsepower. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it and then you yeah. got it used, which was pro and probably didn't fine tune it or anything like oh, that. Oh, I got it. I got it used in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so. What, whatever it was, you know, cut one third of the horsepower. Yeah. I, I mean, it would. Now, I had the 171. I had the Cologne V6. Um, and and it was running very well. It, it, it turned over. It fired right up. Um, carburetor was tuned fairly well. Um, car had some rust on it, but not a lot, but it did have this four speed manual, which was an awesome transmission. It did actually mm. very well, but 105 horsepower. For that, that's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, Alice sends over $5. Thank you very much, Alex. Are non-fungible tokens better or worse than fungible developers? Uh, too many software houses believe in both. Um, Yeah. That's that's an interesting question. <laughs> uh, I think the problem with companies and developers is they try to treat developers like chattel. They okay. they try to treat them as disposable resources rather than resources that need to be invested in and taken care of. Like if you have real estate and it's undeveloped, you don't have to do anything to it and it'll continue to rise in value. Like period. If you have real estate and you let it deteriorate into nothing because it was an office building, but then it's left vacant for 20 years, the bare land might have appreciated, but now your 10-story office building is a depreciated value on the property and is actually worth less than it was before because someone needs to pay to tear it down unless you maintain it. And it's really interesting once you start breaking down uh, all those different aspects of 
investment, whether it's company, whether it's real estate, whether it's personnel, and you start talking about, well, you, you upkeep your real estate assets, right? Do you take care of your employees the same way? You continue to train and 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 make sure they have the proper benefits and and continue to pay them competitive wages throughout the years. Eh? Eh? John, have you you renegotiated in the last five years because uh, inflation? Well, I'm sure I, your I, boss I, speaks that language. Oh, he did, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I I got a nice raise last year. So oh, there you go. Okay, <laughs> I was like, just, just yeah. making sure you're taken care of, man. Oh yeah, you know, I was good. Yeah. Plus, I get all the free scotch I want. There you go. As long as it's at work. Yeah. That's why they're like, plus, I mean, what better job could I ask for when they're like, yeah, you're drinking for your lunch? Yeah, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I know you do, but that's nice to know that I can go back to that now. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now you can't hold anything over me, Jeff. <laughs> Um, we do have a little bit of beer news, uh, which is kind of interesting. The reason I brought this particular one, I brought it last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, we heard about Stone Brewing winning over the Keystone Battle. Yes. Um, and we've all heard about, at, at least in, in the beer industry, if you, anyone's paid any kind of attention, Stone has a reputation for being kind of bullish with their IP. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of both agreed, like, yeah, but it's your brand you have to be protective of your brand because that's who you are but in reality i was saying through this whole time a lot of the bad stuff stone has always been saying was well it's because they were in the middle of a major lawsuit so they kind of had to be a little bit bullish and i think this article kind of pointed that out um so stone brewing almost immediately after their victory uh from keystone a unknown brewery went and filed their own lawsuit against them. A Sacamore Brewing LLC filed uh, an allegation saying, hey, Stone, you can't use the term keep it juicy to promote your new hazy IPA. I'm pretty sure just like most of you, I've never heard of Sacamore Brewing. Nope. Or and yeah, probably no one has. Sycamore, and, by the way. Sycamore, sorry. Sycamore. Sycamore Brewing. And um, Stone went and throughout all of this, you can read the whole article, but they're like, you know what? You're right. We will pull all of our boxes. Um, now, the 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 claim stated what they, they requested is all of their boxes be pulled. And Stone said, you, we can't do all of that, but we're going to pull basically everything that's been shipped out that's in our warehouses we're mm-hmm. going to recall all of them but there's probably still going to be a few on the shelf we're working we're very reasonable people we're mm-hmm. not going to fight you in court um and so they ended up pulling eighteen thousand boxes back yeah. um and so that's just, i never sat there and thought stone was this whole mean corporation within the craft brewery industry when there's been plenty of times where they've shown where they were even willing to give up cap their own capital to say, Hey, we'll fund you to build their own craft brewery Alliance. Right. I think we did a story about that like two years ago. Yep. Um, so they're, they're not bad, but when you're in the middle of an allegation with a major corporation, 
yeah, you kind of have to stay face um, and, and stick your ground and say, look, we're fighting this intellectual property. Anyone else that even slightly comes, we're sorry, we're stepping on your toes. Um, we don't yeah. need to be mean, but we kind of have to continue with this presence because that's what the judge in the courtroom is going to see. And I know right. Stone got a lot of hate on Reddit and a lot of the craft beer communities, but I never thought that. So right. I this article kind of showed this. Yeah. Uh, here's the deal. There are some, some things in trademark copyright that may end up using similar verbiage yeah. for for promotion uh they may end up with similar looking logos um i actually myself spent a not inconsiderable amount of time uh designing a new logo for a second channel um, only to discover that that logo almost cut and paste was being used by another company for the last five years. I don't even remember the company name. It's not a company I've ever worked with before. It's not a company in the tech sector, but I was designing a logo for my second channel whenever I eventually launch it. Um, and I have all the iterative designs, uh, up and down. Now, when it comes down to it, it's not a competitive market. It's not it's not even a tangently related market, but it's a logo that is quite similar to mine. And I went, of freaking course someone else came up with that first. Oh, of course. Um so I'm in a position now of do I just use it or do I not? Because I came up with this on my own, like I and I've got all, I keep every iteration of every Photoshop document I've ever had, uh, especially when it comes to like logo design and things like that. Because if there's ever a question, I want to show iterations of my progress, of how I started with my original craft computing logo and wound up with the logo for the second channel. Um, and uh, someone says, but does it cause uh, confusion in the industry? And in my particular industry, it will cause no confusion. Um, and there's still some distinct differences, but the core of the logo is actually very similar to an existing company. Um, and I was very happy with the way the logo turned out, but also a little pissed off because someone else thought of it first. So... I don't know if I'll end up rolling with it or not. Um, uh, as we move on this year, we are going to try to finally launch a second channel, and it'll probably be with the logo that I designed, and we'll we'll kind of roll from there. But there are things that are iterative processes, and how do you describe? Like, let's go back to Stone. How do you describe a hazy IPA? Well, it started out as a juicy. IPA. Yep. Juicy is one of the iterative phrases, one of the inceptional phrases of the hazy IPAs. Um, that's what the alchemist uses. That's what a number of different breweries use to describe their IPAs until hazy or New England IPA became the accepted nomenclature. 
Um, and so keep it juicy is a very easy iterative phrase to land on when you're developing marketing terms for a hazy IPA. Um, now in marketing and in, in lingo, and especially if you're in a competing industry, um, if someone comes up with an idea and uses that idea first, you can't use it even if it's an iterative idea. But there is some leeway in the courts most of the time for, look, you landed on the same name. That's cute. But this guy had it first, so you can't use it. So you're going to have to pull all your stuff. And Stone said, as soon as this was brought to their attention, they went, you know what? While it's an iterative phrase and we're the bigger company and we probably could, you know, strong arm this out of the way or just ignore it and pay a fine or whatever. Yeah. You know what? Let's give credit where credit's due. They came up with it first. They used it first. We'll pull our packaging. Not a big deal. Yep, exactly. And they, they've done similar things multiple times, but it was, wasn't was until they started their major lawsuit with a national brewery and a mm-hmm. national chain that which take which took about three years Mm -hmm. during those three years there's a lot of smaller distribute or disputes similar to this to where this is where they kind of got that reputation Mm -hmm. of oh they're kicking out down the little guys like well no they have this major one that they're trying to fight this battle in fact for all of you right um maybe they're just trying to like we'll put you on the wayside but right now publicly we have to say we're going to fight you on it too. Uh, because right. there was a story about um, Stone Brewing going after a small brewery called Stone yeah. Yeah. House Brewing or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it was the same, but but literally it was the same thing because the word it was about the word stone. And they're mm-hmm. like, see, Judge, we're going after everyone. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think that that's an when you start thing. your C and D with we're really sorry about this, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just don't say I'm sorry. Just uh, wait yeah. two years. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll license you stone for a dollar a year. Yeah, exactly. You know that's essentially what they were doing, uh, but you can't. We can't publicly tell you that mm-hmm. or announce that, and so. But then everyone sits there and says. Screw Stone, I'm never buying their beer again. They sold out. It's like, no, no, they didn't. No, they're a they're a multinational business that has to deal with multinational copyright. And look, if you want to get mad at Nintendo or Disney for effing over copyright laws internationally, be my guest. If 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 you want to sit here and make an argument that that Disney extended the original copyright date from 15 years of author's death to 70 years after original author's death in the case of Walt Disney and Mickey Mouse and all of the things that they protect. Um, yeah, that's a valid argument. And if you want to say that Nintendo and Disney and a number of other companies crap all over the little guy for streaming gameplay on YouTube, that's a valid argument. Yep. The thing is, when you get to a certain size, you have a right to your, or a legal obligation, rather, to your shareholders to defend your IP as to not dilute the shares in the stock or lower the value of your company. 
Uh, and in the case of Stone, uh, which I believe does have shareholders. Uh, it does. Yeah, it is a publicly traded company. Uh, they have a legal obligation to protect their intellectual property. And it's because they need to maintain the level of value that they provide their shareholders at the same level and not dilute it by letting other breweries use the stone name. So I don't see this as stone selling out. I see this as stone playing ball with the big boys now. Oh, exactly. I, I think they're third or fourth largest craft beer company in the United States, something along that lines. You know, top top four. And uh, when they're going after the big big boys, um, in all honesty, I think they're helping to set precedent for everyone else. Yeah. But it, it kind of can hurt some smaller people along the way. Right. Uh, but they're just like, look, look, yeah, like you said, you know, yeah, we'll we'll sell it to you for a dollar a month. Just shut up. Yeah. And and again, when you're trying to go after Keystone for what they did is fully encroach on Stone's branding uh, and lower the value of Stone Brewing uh, in Keystone Light using, you know, go grab a stone and all of the marketing blitz that they did around that term. Keystone knew what they were doing and Stone Brewing had an obligation to stop them. However, in that obligation to stop them, you also have to circle back and protect your IP with other people to make sure that they're not misusing your IP and diluting the value of your brand as well. Exactly. And so, yeah, this was a punching above your weight class, you know, knock down Keystone to protect the stone name, but you gotta kick the gremlins off your heels as well, right or wrong. And that's just the way business is done. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. All right. But that's all the beer news we've had because it was a slow week for the beer industry and yep. alcohol industry. Uh, moving right along. Uh, Square Enix sold oh. a number of gaming IPs and studios for what seems and feels like pennies uh, in a very odd move. Uh, I saw this story come through and swore they missed a zero on this purchase price. Uh, so Square Enix, uh, owner of such titles as Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, um, what else was part of this? Uh, Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, uh, etc., yeah, they said around 30 AAA titles. Uh, around 30 AAA titles uh, in uh, Legacy of Kane. Like, if you go back to the PlayStation days and whatnot. Um, yeah. Uh, sold a good chunk of their software and gaming IP to a Swedish game company called Embracer Group for $300 million. Now... A lot of people go, oh man, 300 million. That's a lot of money. Remember every Tomb Raider game brings in like 
50 million dollars Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, uh, Thief, Legacy of Cain, and a number of other titles, those are worth a lot of money. Those IPs have been around forever. And $300 million really does seem like pocket change for this level of transaction. I, I was honestly shocked when I saw this that it wasn't $3 billion. I, I, like I don't know what to say about this. This is they odd. sold it, Tomb Raider for three hundred million would still shock the hell out of me, but now, they see, sold I, Tomb Raider and seven other gaming studios. Yeah, because I could see like that, like Tomb Raider. Honestly, I could see like Thief, Thief mm-hmm. going for hundred million. I could see Thief mm-hmm. hundred million because when was the last? Maybe even thief like seventy five. And and the last Thief yeah. game wasn't even that great. Exactly. Right. Uh, but Tomb Raider, they just made a movie. A couple years ago, uh, I don't remember how big of a hit it was, but e- even now, then there was a new game, and new games still cut. So it's still a relevant IP. Yeah, and uh, three hundred million for just that one IP, I could see that. Maybe, maybe it being like, okay, maybe, maybe I don't know the numbers of the old, you know, Tomb Raider stuff. So maybe just they all flopped. Let let me let me break this down to you, okay? Uh. The 2013 iteration of Tomb Raider, uh, when they rebooted the franchise, sold 14 and a half million copies. Rise of the Tomb Raider, the sequel, in 2015, sold 11.8 million. Shadow of the Tomb Raider in 2018 sold 8.9 million. Just the last Tomb Raider, just the 2018 launch, if you take a $30 sale price, for that launch, you're looking at $270 million. That game brought in enough revenue to buy not only the franchise, but the franchise of Deus Ex and Thief and Legacy of Kane and yada, 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 and all the studios associated with them. And that's at a $30 price point. So if if that was a $60 price point, it was $513 million. Yeah. Now, the real number is somewhere probably in the middle there, somewhere around the $400 million mark if I had to put money on it. But still, the last Tomb Raider game still made more than this entire deal is worth. I, I didn't even know what to say about that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> mafia? Swedish Mafia? <laughs> is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> this was such a confusing story. Like, how? How did this deal take place? How are we I, even uh, talking about this? I, I, is it, is it like maybe this is weird? Yeah, I don't know. Is it maybe just for like European UK distribution? I don't know. That, no, that doesn't this, make sense. This, this is, is development. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Here, let me, let me pull this up. Uh, just the Tomb Raider franchise. Here's all of their sales since 1996. Their worst-selling game was Tomb Raider Chronicles in 2000, which sold only 1.5 million copies. Beyond that, uh, Angel of Darkness was also pretty bad at 2.5. 
But their worst selling game is 5 million copies in Last Revelation in 1999. Oh, no, they, oh, I guess their anniversary, but yeah. that Which was a re-release. That's, that's so, a re-release, yeah. yeah. But all of their original IPs, so the original Tomb Raider and Tomb Raider 2 sold 7, 7, and 6 million for Tomb Raider 3, respectively. Then you get into the 2006 era, you've got 6.4, 3.8 million yeah, uh, for Underworld. Four. And then 14.5, 11.8, and 8.9. And like I said, just the 8.9 million copy number. Yeah, you're looking at 60 bucks. Is easily pop. 250 million in revenue. Yeah. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand this transaction. I don't understand this deal. I don't know how this deal even came close to going through, let alone actually went through. They made him an offer they couldn't refuse. It, it, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> Unless they're like wanting to get, I don't know. Like why? Yeah. Why would you do this? Now Square Enix did hang on to the Hitman franchise. They do still own the Hitman franchise, which to be fair has been doing very well for them. Uh, I remember the middle ones weren't that good. Uh, just like two, the early, the the mid two thousands, just like the the two thousand eight two thousand nine Hitman's. Oh right, like uh, the, um, right. No, Absolution did did very poorly. Uh, which was it was a decent game, but it was a crappy Hitman well, game. Well, and you know what? Uh, you know what I but, think what ended up coming out was is they kept correlating them with the movies, as the Tomb Raiders in the movies, right? Or that that late. 2000-esque era the angelina jolie and then they tried to make a hitman movie the yeah two, those two and they were just horrible and then they tried to launch games at the same time yeah and it was probably just the development was too rushed yeah um so hitman 3 is the best-selling hitman in the history of the franchise and made 78 million dollars in profit for the studio. Uh, that's really the only numbers that I can see on Hitman 3. Uh, but Hitman Absolution has really been the only bust for the Hitman series because Hitman 1, 2, 3, and then uh, Blood Money all sold very, very well. They were still relatively niche audiences with, with stealth mechanics and whatnot, but they did very well on their own. Um, and then when they rebooted the franchise with with hitman as a subscription service where you would you would pay ten dollars per new episode sales just kind of exploded and they've all done very well so yeah it's it's a weird weird dichotomy with this and only... and again i just don't understand how you could let tomb raider go tomb raider by itself for 300 million dollars is insane. I, I mean unless they were like hemorrhaging so much capital they're like we need to get something now and and they might have been but and and they're gonna just invest this into one or two games and hope it bails them out maybe square maybe square enix sunk all their money into nfts i don't know <laughs> maybe maybe yeah yeah that's funny all right but you know what game uh 
is coming back. And um, this is something I think you and I have talked about in a, a franchise mm-hmm. uh, and, and even from a, a development company we have loved. Yeah. Um, a lot of games from them. Some of the, some of the best, most memorable games of us growing up. At least I know you and I have yeah. talked about it. I know Steve's talked about it. Uh, I, I don't know how much Rhett's played these. But uh, some of the best jokes, soundtracks, adventure, point-and-click games you will have mm, ever played. So good. So good stuff. Um, and one of the franchises coming back, a brand new Monkey Island, is actually coming back by the original creator, Ron Gilbert, who helped create Monkey Island 1 and 2. Yes. So uh, coming back this year... And the funny thing is, is uh, he introduced this, announced this April 1st. So everyone thought <laughs> this was a joke. And then he goes, no, 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 really. <laughs> no, it was really. And I guess he did a tweet like back in 2013 saying, yeah, if I ever do another one, I'm going to announce it April Fool's. Yep. And he did that. And so this, that, it, but it took like four days for people like, oh, really? Yeah. Are, you're serious? And, and the trailer's just some skeleton probably on uh you know what yeah you see murray in the background yep yep and uh some you know dead pirate cursed pirate playing a song so i'm looking forward to this um lucas arts films had games lucas films game sorry but you should be called lucas arts um man what how many the day of the tentacle mm-hmm. full throttle mm. all the monkey islands so salmon good max, salmon max right um some of the Indiana the Jones dig. ones. The Dig. Oh, man. Uh, was Neverhood also LucasArts? The Neverhood? Uh, it doesn't look like it. Uh, it was... No, that was Microsoft. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it, it was in that same vein and around oh, that yeah. same time period. But, uh, I mean, these are still games I come back to now, like, with Scum MB, and I'll still play them. Oh, yeah. Just for, just for a couple hours. Uh, it's so much fun. Yeah, Full, full Throttle was, was one of my favorites from that day. Uh, that and uh, Sam and Max Hit the Road. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I, I was never a huge Monkey Island player. Like, like, I played through the games, but Monkey Island itself didn't, like, hold my heart to the way okay. full throttle and Sam and Max did, but I still respect the hell out of it. Like, Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I think Steve still even has like an original, uh, monkey Island one box with the spin key coder. Nice to have uh, people. So they couldn't pirate it. Uh, cause it was still on floppy disk mm-hmm. and people would burn or, you know, mm-hmm. copy it, but you needed the, the special key coder every time to load it. Yeah. Um, so that was a way of getting around piracy back in the day, yep. even though it was a video game about pirates. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so very cool. This will be coming out end of this year sometime. Yep. Um, and it's been 13 years since they did the Secret of Monkey Island, or no, the Tales of Monkey Island, sorry, back in 2009, which I was okay with. It was that episodic, it was really the start of some of those episodic stuff um where you bought uh you know an episode here or there they did that with sam and max too um i don't know if you played those ones jeff they were okay mm-hmm. 
Sandbags hit the road was still like so classic. No, so that was so good. Jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking, looking forward to this. I don't know if any of the original voices are coming back, but I hope so. Yeah. Uh, let's see. That leaves us with 12 minutes. 12 minutes. Do you think we can get this done in 12 minutes? Do you want to do a synopsis or just our take on it? I think I'll, I think I want to do our take on this. So okay. so this is a spoiler cast for Star Trek Picard Episode 9, Season 2. Uh, hide Tomorrow's and Seek. Yep, tomorrow is the finale. Uh, farewell, Episode 10. But we are doing a spoiler cast right now of Hide and Seek. Um... So if you have not seen it yet, I would turn off the show in three, two, one. But make sure to hit that like uh, button and share like, subscribe, Patreon, etc. Yeah, you know where it's at. Yeah, gosh. Anyway, uh, so uh, Queen Girardi has assimilated her first drones. They have beamed over to La Serena uh, in an effort to take it over. Uh. The uh, Talon, Picard, Raffi, and Seven beam to Picard's chateau uh, where they attempt to split up and go retake the La Serena. Uh, remember, Rios and the Doctor and her son are on board the La Serena. Uh, and anyway, the whole thing is essentially a fight for the ship in which Basically, the queen ends up winning. Basically, uh, yeah. Uh, but the queen tries to kill Seven, and then Agnes's personality jumps in and says, wait, 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 you can't kill her. Maybe we can be something different, because all the Borg that you ever had, they were all assimilated against their will. What if they chose to be Borg? What if we chose to actually strive to be better? Yeah. And, and whatnot. You're, you're just like me, essentially. You're just always looking you're lonely and so you're just filling a void with you're surrounded by people but you're lonely all the time what if what if people chose to be next to you yeah and uh these people chose to be next to me and now you're gonna kill them and and that's not fair um and it was essentially the idea of you already know there's gonna be a one one universe you already die and the other one that we we came from there's already a born so you die why not try something new this time right um, so a, a very interesting take on the Borg and one that I did not dislike. Um, there are some people that are going to say it's lazy writing and, you know, and then they blast it off and we're never seen from again. Uh, <laughs> only we kind of knew from the start that Girardi was kind of the Borg queen. Like we had some inkling that that was Girardi. It was rumored for a long time and it was just pretty much confirmed for us in this episode that, yeah, Girardi's the new Borg queen and it's awesome. Um... Well, it's even more confirmed, too, because I guess the, another spoiler alert, uh, she is not coming back for season three. Correct. Yeah. Which I'm actually really sad by. I I, I really liked what they did with Girardi in this season. Um, well, well, she's we'll been see. one of my favorite characters throughout. This, she's been part. a lot better this season than last. Yes. Uh, the that best, is true. The best dynamic between two characters has been her and the queen this whole season. So good. So good. The cattiness between those two has been amazing. Yeah. Um, her opening the 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 morgue drawer and go, wow, we've looked better. <laughs> it was just great. Um, so I will say, I actually started writing 
a fairly long tweet about fandom because of this episode and because of the backlash that I saw to this episode. Because who could ever like this crap? Who could ever respect the writing that went into Star Trek Picard? And you call yourself a Trekkie, but what the hell is this absolute garbage? Yeah. And and it got me thinking because while I'm not a huge fan of Discovery, some people are. And that's totally fine. Yeah. For the sake of argument, it's totally fine. Star Trek Discovery was not written for me. I don't control the destiny of Star Trek Discovery. I don't control that the franchise. I don't control anything about it. My only role as a fan is to sit there and watch and then make up my own mind. And I can love it or I can not love it or I can hate it or I can not hate it or any range of emotion in between. The problem is fandom, and I'm speaking specifically to Star Wars fans on this because no one hates Star Wars as much as Star Wars fans do. Uh... I'm starting to see that same effect in Star Trek fans, which I've never really seen or been exposed to before. Um, but looking back, those haters have always been there. Because if you go back and you read TV guides from 1986 when Star Trek The Next Generation came out, you see that, Oh, great. We're replacing Captain Kirk and, and, and Spock, you know, legends of the Federation yeah. with some bald guy in a Klingon. Like, what the crap is this? And they'll never amount to anything. And, and how dare they do this to Star Trek? And we go back now and TNG is regarded as one of the best Star Trek series of all time. The um, best, yeah. I see what you did there. Uh, <laughs> DS9, <Continue. laughs> DS9 debuted in 1992, and people went, the goal of Star Trek is to go boldly into the unknown and yeah. explore and, and seek out new worlds and new civilizations, and they're going to do the entire thing from a from a space station in this like really dark time? Like, what the hell have they done with my Star Trek? Not only that, but he told Jean-Luc Picard, legendary captain of the Starship Enterprise D, to basically go F himself in episode one. Like, who does Cisco think he is? And DS9 went on to be one of the best franchises in Star Trek history. Then Voyager came out and it's like, oh, so this band of like outcasts is sent to the Delta Quadrant and this other band of outcasts that are basically like a tugboat was sent out to find them and they were also cast out to the Delta Quadrant and now they're going to spend the entire time coming home. Well, I hate the Maquis and everything they represent and who the hell is this woman captain and you've got a half Klingon as an engineer and, and a Native American for a first officer and a convict as a helmsman. like this isn't what this is about. They have to work with Starfleet together. And now Voyager is heralded as one of the best Star Trek franchises of all time. And then came Enterprise. And then came Enterprise, and now we all agree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, a long time. Yeah. But even Enterprise now is held up there with the rest of 90s Trek, even though it came out in 2002, um, because it's what some people grew up on. But all of a sudden, everything new can't can't be well, good anymore. Yeah, 
I get I get your point. I get I get your point on that. Uh I guess the only the only difference, this is the first trek to reintroduce a famous character and kind of rebrand him. I'll, now, I'll it, 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 it shows it's it, it's not rebrand, it's it's a big jump in growth. I I will I will counter that with of course 90-year-old Jean-Luc Picard is a very different person than 50-year-old Jean-Luc Picard. Yes, but of because, course he is. But because there is 7 seasons, so there's 7 years of him plus 4 movies of him mm-hmm. um into the 2000s and maybe not the best farewell for certain characters in the last movie. Right. Um but it was oh okay we've seen the journey of this character mm-hmm. and then there's just this big contrast and we don't even quite yet there was really no real explanation of why he changed uh then that would be season 1 i i disagree because if if you're the jean-luc picard that that feels like romulan lives are worth just as much as anyone else's life and and you were lambasted and cast out of Starfleet for trying to save the lives of an entire planet, and now both civilizations hate you for it. See, you'd be you know, a bitter old man too. Y- you know, now that I kind of think of it, that should have been season one. That would have been a really the amazing the actual yeah the, the actual act- events, not the, the aftermath. Actual, yeah, yeah, the actual events of that, and then end of the season, discharged. To, you know, disservice, right? Big shocker of like, how what do you would do have been that? the fan reaction had oh, that horrible, been the ending? Horrible, right? But right. That would have been. Be- I, I, but, but then, but then it could have. Captain Jean Luc Picard dishonorably discharged for yeah. treason against oh, the yeah. Federation by stealing starships to rescue Romulan citizens. But, I, but I guess, yeah, but that would have made sense because that would have also then fit his character mm-hmm. via, say, like even the movies because he even did that in the movies. He did that in the series. Right. Uh, so right. I was like, okay, we see the transition. That there was something to fight back at. Mm-hmm. Um. Now back, I, I I totally agree with you because you know I'm I don't think we want to make this a very long no uh, no we could talk that, for hours we both yes we could um, I'm just gonna go back to season this episode uh, I totally agree with what you're stating of fan service always sit there and complain about modern truck no matter what uh, and then you jump ten years you're like yo this wasn't too bad I like this blah 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 right I went back but, and I watched I really liked the send off they gave data. Exactly. All that stuff. The thing I took away from this episode Mm -hmm. was that, um, and it was a a thing I was complaining about a long time, was this whole season, and maybe they might wrap it up in a nice little bow for me this next episode, it doesn't feel like a Q season. It It feels, It feels more like another Borg season like i think oh, it's very little, borg heavy of course it, it is. It, with a little right. bit of tweaking q might not be in it at all now here's a quick thought though okay maybe end of this season ties into the next mm-hmm. so q is actually part of season three i i would say that's probably accurate in, in some regard um i will say with q coming back 
I wanted more Q. I wanted more Q. Too. I wanted more Q. Now maybe we'll get our our just desserts in in episode ten tomorrow. Hopefully. hopefully, hopefully we'll get more Q. Hopefully we'll get some resolution because they've been kind of building on him dying slash having problems slash dealing with his own mortality. Um, yeah, other than the first episode, he's only been it for like two minutes. It's episode. been more than that. I mean, no, he, like, he had for, an entire five minute monologue in in the uh, the episode with Guinan. Yeah, but two episodes prior to that, he wasn't even in it at all. Right, right. And then and then the next time prior to that, he was only in the last thirty seconds. Where, it, well, that's interesting. Right. And then um, that was it. So while Q caused this situation, I haven't seen anything of Q checking in on Picard and going, "How's the trial going, Jean Luc?" Yeah, you know, whispering in you know, his ear yeah. or. Oh, you're really going to have to make a decision now, aren't you? Let them die or let them live. Isn't that the human conundrum? Like, like there hasn't been any of that, that stuff because Q has been very much removed from Picard for the entire thing. Outside of the first little interaction that they have, Q's just kind of been in the shadows watching rather than being a participant. And it feels weird. Um, So... Who knows if if this storyline with Q is going to extend into season three. But I will say I wanted more Q because Q is supposed to be there. Um, But I also don't dislike the story that they're telling. Because it's, it's, it's Picard and his colleagues that are trying to solve a problem that has been presented by Q in whatever means they can, uh, when they don't know what the actual problem is or the solution to the problem. They just know that something in this universe is going to cause the timeline to irreparably break. And if Rene Picard doesn't get on the Europa mission, we will plunge headfirst into a fascist dystopia. Like, that's all they know. And so I don't dislike most of the story. And and for people saying like, well, oh, so Guinan lived on the on the earth for 300 years, but all of a sudden she wants to leave because there's racists and whatnot. Well, yeah, <laughs> I believe that. I, 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 I don't, you know, discount or discredit 2024 Guinan's feelings on Los Angeles or well we already knew early on that she traveled a lot because what she she went and visited Earth early on mm-hmm. during the Mark Twain years we saw in generations that she was first boarded the through the Nexus mm-hmm. but she was on a transport ship yep her species travels and yep communicates and listens listens so and we are listeners and earth was just one of i believe she states that in the Mm -hmm. tng episode back with mark twain like one of many stops along the road one of the many and she's just fascinated with earth of like oh it's just very fun place to go to essentially and it was more of a rebellious Mm -hmm. thing that because her father didn't like her to go there essentially right um so it could just be like, I just wanted to come back here because it was fun. Yeah. So we knew that Guinan travels all over. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, I, I don't really care about that. Yeah. Um, that, that's a, that's a, I mean, to, to me, it was, it gets back to just like, I, the story's okay, but 
I like the story, but because it's not very Q heavy, again, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. They could wrap it up very nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but if it if they don't, and this is the end of the story, and it literally is like, well, see you later, Picard. I'm going to die now. Right. Uh, and we're like, what? You know, this this was horrible. This 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 is going to stink. Um, where they could have easily written it to be more of a the Borg are trying to re rise up again. Right. Um, there there's a a bit of a lot of holes in this that I don't really like. Like theoretically, the idea of the Romulans being the guardians um, when in TNG and throughout all of the original series, Romulans were regarded as a vicious, yeah. you know. They, um, they were the fascist regime. Exactly. So why are they protectors? Um, right. It's like, okay, you got to give and take. Uh, yeah. I didn't, I don't like the whole idea of Picard, his flashbacks with his parents, and there's no mention of his brother, essentially. I, I, I didn't mind that because you have to remember this is Picard in his individual memory, not necessarily what actually happened. And through your mind's eye, it's always different. There's always a different perspective. Well, maybe, but also there was always talk of how Picard's dad didn't like technology and didn't like any of that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Didn't like the stars and, and spaceship, was more of a ground, down-to-earth type of person. And then right. we see him as a psychiatrist with pads and and everything trying to help his mother out yeah i don't know it just it it, it it's okay think, i guess i hey, john, I, I john think about think about the people that you know today who are in their 60s and 70s and dislike all the technology around them yet still use automatic coffee grinders and iPay and and Amazon delivery and everything well, else. That, are, are, the, are they going and milking cows by themselves? No, they're well, no, not. No, so think what, about but, the technology but, of the but, day that they have but, access to that might just feel like second nature. But that's that's exactly what I thought. So when I sat there, I, thought, I went and looked at like, okay, I'm taking a look at my in-laws. My mm-hmm. in-laws live on a farm, uh-huh. they, but they don't use a tablet. They, they barely know how to use a smartphone. Right. Like it, it, you know, it takes it. They're like, I really wish we had something different. Right. Uh, I got to go there and help them program it for them. A lot of their stuff is still manual. He prefers going out into the garden and just, I'm going to take a shovel uh-huh. and I'm going to dig it up. Right. It is a bit more manual as to where I'm like, I'll go get the tractor. I'll go. I got this technology. I'll just dig it right. Right. Up, no but, but I all, but I also know people who complain about technology constantly Yet they yeah. have Amazon packages on their door every single day. Oh yeah. I, I, so I, I'm just I, saying it, it could have easily been fine of like just seeing a boy in the background or that one of them saying, go to your room and it'd be the older brother. Yeah. Any reference of even with my, uh, of a family member. Where's being Robert? The, right. Yeah, exactly. Just where is Robert yeah. or, or, or you hear uh, someone in the background crying, shut up Robert. You know, we need to do this, <laughs> you know, yeah. Of essentially something like that to where, yeah. or the mom saying, "I gotta take care of Robert." But, but I, I, I think you're getting too specific in your criticism of a person's memory. Uh, but when, they made it. They no, made no, no. it too big of a deal. No, 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 no. I think you're getting too specific in the criticism of a person's memory when the memory is specifically about the relationship that one person had with their mother. 
And for some reason, Robert wasn't sitting there going, mommy, 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 mommy. I, I No, but okay, okay. So I... As someone I, who has siblings, a no, lot of a lot of my memories of my parents don't include my siblings. Okay, I guess for me, with someone comes like say, well, you have large, nine siblings, so exactly, that doesn't count. So, yeah. So, well, <laughs> it, it is. I come from, and I be, Picard being the younger brother, right. I'm the youngest brother. Right. It is. I see my parents interact. My memories are, oh, I saw how my parents interacted with them. How do my parents interact with me? So I have a reference. <laughs> And so see, where, see, I, where Picard, I was the I was the eldest by eleven years, so and and many Robert, of my memories don't include my siblings. But then, so you're Robert. I'm Robert. So that's that's where you disconnect from Picard, right? Picard is the youngest, so he should see the older brother. Picard, or maybe even, the older brother even, is out getting laid out in the wine field. Who knows? Well, no, Robert, because we even remember seeing in they weren't that old of a difference because they were in school together, right? And so Robert is only supposed to be like three to four years older. Mm-hmm. I think he, you know he was a senior in high school, and Picard was a freshman, and Picard was beating all of his sports records, I believe, something along that line right. of, of a reference, right? Um, but, but. Picard's also like 10, 11 in these flashbacks. So so that would put Robert at like 14. But the memories right. were specifically about his mother and his interaction with his mother. And a, well, it was his mother and his father because he sat there and took a long time to realize that 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 was his father and he was gre- or or trying to come to terms that his father was that person and then trying to help. I I guess the, the the quick point I just I think they did a slightly that ten percent fifteen percent more effort would have rounded that story out that's all and and I'll say it again I wish that modern television programming and I'm talking very general terms here yeah. I know, modern, I know we talked about this before. So modern television programming would stop operating on the standards of 45 minutes. 45 minutes to tell your or 42 minutes runtime to tell your story with advertising breaks every seven. Um because some stories take longer, some stories yeah. take less. Yeah. Uh Breaking Bad is the pinnacle of network television. Because they used the runtime to tell a story perfectly each and every time. Uh, but the people who were calling out crappy writing for Star Trek Picard or Star... I'll even say Star Trek Discovery or Lower Decks or whatever your flavor of the month is. All the people who are calling out the crappy writing, keep in mind, these are 10 episode seasons that are trying to tell a continuous story for the most part. Lower yep. Decks being the episodic, but but Discovery and Picard trying to tell overarching storylines. You're comparing it to shows that are, number one, 25 years old at the time of filming, sometimes 30 years old at the time of filming, in the, in the case of Generation. Um, you have old TV standards of runtime for 42 minutes, and that's it being held as the standard for what you still have to do, even though they can't ignore it because, well, it's only on Paramount+. Plus. You don't have to actually put this on broadcast television anymore. 
Uh, in fact, it's not on broadcast television anymore. So why the hell are you still beholden to that 42 minute standard? Yeah. Uh, no commercials or anything. Number three, you're comparing this against 25 episode seasons that were done entirely episodic with no real overarching story. Um, and even though I trumpet DS9 as having an overarching story and Voyager is having an overarching story, that is so minimal there, there to the a, plot there, in so many episodes. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a story. It was a theme. It was a theme. And, and where DS9 does have the Dominion War and does have ups and downs and different locales for where they're at at different times... Um, there were enough break episodes to break it up. They, they still found three episodes to explore Dr. Bashir's psyche in the middle of the Dominion War. Yeah, or a holodeck uh, malfunction. Or a holodeck malfunction, or or O'Brien has to go back to Earth to, to meet his do dead parents, or, or whatever the or, bloody yeah, hell. Or, or Quark and Nog have to do something to Right, get or it's a Ferengi out. episode. Yeah. Right. Um, you're comparing a 10-episode overarching season which is essentially an extended movie. It's a, it's a five hour movie Yeah. versus tw 18 to 20 hours of literally episodic content where all it had to do is exist within its 42 minutes. And Let you know what? The writing in some of those 42 minutes was dog shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you Sub this. Rosa existed in epi in season seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you and you're heralding that as the pinnacle of Star Trek television. <laughs> Let me ask you this though, okay? Those those type of episodes that we were talking about, because that did happen in TNG through Voyager, mm -hmm. of those random ones, made you bond with the characters, and it was more you had this longer time to build these character developments, right? And you had years essentially years mm -hmm. to build this character development to where like you're saying now is there's 10 episodes and this is something that we talked about in season one in in, in season one episode 10 seven and raffi on an overarching shot on on a boom shot from a camera embraced their hands like this yeah and you're just like to tell the story that they're going to be together for a year and a half that was the only clue that we had that they were a thing. Yeah, and it was... And, and it it's was, barely a plot point in the new season as well. Uh, where they say they care about each other and, and like, episode five and six, they're arguing like husband and wife. Um, whereas for Next Generation or DS9 or Voyager, we would have gotten three or four episodes spread across four seasons explaining their relationship in the utmost detail. But well, you yeah. say right now that in a 42-minute runtime episode that the writing is crap because, well, I didn't know they loved each other. Well, I guess that's the thing is then <laughs> people are complaining that they're packing too much in. And when you have Seven of Nine and Picard, these already established characters. Who are taking a backseat to Girardi and Rios in season two, by the way. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and, and then, um, you know, it's just... Who are these characters? Why are they doing this? this? This doesn't make any sense because these characters have been established. Now, Picard, we had last season and a bit of Seven of Nine. Yeah. Um, it, it just, I don't know. Yeah. It, it but... might have made it may have made more sense if they stuck to the original type of character. Maybe, don't know. Um, but the characters are all 20 to 30 years older now. Of course, they're not the same people. 
Yeah, of course I, well, they've had other life experiences well, that, was that nice you part. may not be privy to. Well, that was the nice part. And the end of this episode, she talked about um, uh, Seven being captain. She's like, oh, you make a really good captain. Right. And then she's and she goes, about, I tried. They I tried. kicked me and, out because I was Janeway, bored. Janeway pushed for it. I was bored. They didn't accept me. And so uh, right. I just left and abandoned it. Right. Okay. There's a little bit. But that, again, if this was a whole... 52 episode season or what you know 24 episode season that would have been an episode a flashback right you know they would have spent Um, an entire 42 minutes on that particular piece of dialogue rather than casting it out with three lines now but you say it's terrible writing even though they're trying to tell a story and give some backstory and they're giving you context for that backstory but it's rapid fire it's it's two or three lines i i guess i guess there's a difference because um like something when like you have game of thrones come out which is a 10 episode season and you have this complex story mm-hmm. but it's written so well and it's told so well like oh i understand the history at it's least fun. for the first six. Oh yeah, yeah but it's it's like oh once they didn't what... have a book to go on which had which had hundreds of years of lore and they exactly. had to start figuring out along the way guess what happened but i so yeah that's the, that's the thing is <laughs> is so um, now we can end on this or if you want to, but an interesting yeah. thing, I don't know if you heard it, but the first couple of episodes of strange new world got released to critics and it has been said to be episodic. Yes. So, um, if people have been talking a bit more episodic Trek, yeah. this, a strange new world might be something up your alley. Um, I will at least give it a try i did like i'm definitely going to uh pike's character in um discovery mm-hmm. season two um didn't care for spock with a beard but yeah yeah whatever um so i'll give this a shot you know just i gave discovery a shot i'll mm-hmm. give most treks a shot so yep. i gave most treks a shot the only ones that i really haven't liked are enterprise and discovery and but you know what? I still call myself a Trek fan. And oh, I yeah. and I don't hate Enterprise at Discovery. And I don't hate the people that like them. Like because I said, I like, they may I not like be Discovery for me. Season 3. I like right. I I'll blatantly say Discovery Season 3 is a good season. Yeah. Um and and Disco- uh, Enterprise past season two is good. So Right. Um I I, I just rewatched Caretaker. For Voyager, I I rewatched episodes one, two, and three, and actually really enjoyed them. Like, like they're not the worst things in the world. And but you go back and you read the critical, you know, stories and and reviews at the time, and this was the most blasphemous thing anyone had ever seen. But looking back, because of the episodic nature and the number of of episodes that were released. You remember the 10 good ones out of a 25 episode season and, and your mind's eye just discards the other 15, even though watching them episode by episode week by week, you go, yeah, that wasn't a great one. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I mean, like I said, sub Rosa takes place in season seven by the time that next generation had already established every character and everything and everything we would ever want to know about them and is one of the worst episodes of Star Trek of all time happens in the penultimate season of The Next Generation. 
So yeah. you can't tell me that Star Trek Picard is crappy writing because they're not paying attention to the past when Sub Rosa exists. <laughs> the fact that it even made it off a producer's desk. Yeah, but they never mentioned it after that episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lower Decks does, and it's great. <laughs> That's what that's the best part of lower decks is just let's what's the worst of Trek? Let's talk about that blatantly loud. They, they have animated series digs and it's amazing. <laughs> Did Dr. Crusher know about that candle and that Scotsman that one time? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great stuff. I can't so wait for that great. to come back. Yes. Anyway, thank you all for watching episode 233 of Talking Heads here on Craft Computing. Catch us every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific time for the latest in beer and tech news. Join the Patreon if you want to keep the conversation going with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all the hosts from Talking Heads, and join the exclusive Discord server and after party. That happens every Wednesday night at 10.30 p.m. Uh, John, any good of the order? Any... Uh, spoilers no. teasers no. I'm, I'm i'm hoping to have my video out by friday um just got got behind i got some food poisoning in on uh it was like sunday night so i didn't didn't feel too good Oof. couldn't edit yeah. i oh i lost <laughs> my voice on the weekend too so part of my video you might hear me squeak a bit um uh so i might have to do some reshoots so i'm hoping to have the video out by friday for my 46 day beer diet if you guys haven't heard that's what i did uh, so Big Big Spoon says the worst episode of all time was probably involved giving a relationship to Kess to a full-grown adult. Um, yeah, that was a big part of episodes one and two in Caretaker and Star Trek Voyager, but I would argue that the worst episode in Star Trek Voyager was Kess coming back. Oh, where she's like an old lady and the... Where she's like an ship. old omnipotent Q-type lady who tries to rip no, the ship apart. The, the, we all know the worst episode is Warp 10 or whatever, the threshold. Oh, Transwarp? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, it gets a lot of love these days because, yeah. because it's just so out there. Uh, or, we all know the worst episode of DS9. Oh, yes. Which uh, is? What was this? How, how does that song go? Alamarine, count to four. Alamarine, then three more. Yeah, was that episode four? It was. It was early, maybe yeah, seven. Like season, I think it was like it was season, season one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was DS Nine, the game. Oh, it's the worst episode ever. Uh, move along home. Okay, Let's wait see. then. What is season the worst one, T episode ten? What is the worst TNG? Oh. Uh, well, the game is also up there. Uh, I think the worst TNG, and let me look up the name, uh, is, is the, the one with the, where they have to introduce the Indian tribes and then Wesley throws a big fit because they were introducing Chakotay in Voyager. So they're like, oh, we have to talk about Indian tribes. Yeah. Um, um oh no, 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 no. Uh, Gosh, what's the one with the quasi nudist colony where Wesley's sentenced to oh, death for yeah, stomping on the flowers? That is, that is really bad. That's too. the worst one. That is really bad too. That's the no, worst one. No, then there's the one where Tasha Yar has to fight with the spiked hands <laughs> with the the African American planet, which is I'm sorry, but that's just how it was. I don't mean to be weird. There, but it was there weird. are, s and here's the thing: there are so many 
bad episodes of TNG, but it's held up as like the golden standard for well, Star Trek. Season one was like, we have to be like TOS. Right. And, and every, so many We have to overact and Picard has to be stronger and badder and, and, yeah. and more intense than Kirk ever was. And so, and, and Riker was fitting in like this. I don't know what a first officer is supposed to be because I'm definitely not Vulcan. Yeah. But like, do I just yell at people? I'm just going to yell at people. <laughs> so. Yeah. But it took him three seasons to get yeah, some like good at. John, be honest. <laughs> There's nothing about a Dr. Pulaski episode that oh, makes yeah. any sense. Um, no, there was a good, um, uh, the Pulaski episode where data data does that video game one. That was a pretty good one. Oh yeah. Okay. There's like three decent Dr. Pulaski episodes. What about, uh, when was measure of a man? When was, uh, data I think is to be decommissioned? Three. Yeah. That's kind of when TNG kind of got its footing. But remember, they were 60 episodes in at that point. And and you're trying to tell me that season, Star Trek Picard two, on episode epi- 17 can't is, still have a couple hiccups? No, that is that is a a uh season 2 episode 9. Okay. That's still 34 episodes in. That is twice as many episodes as we've gotten of Star Trek Picard. And you're telling me that Star Trek Picard can't still be finding its footing? Well, the the problem is is there's individual stories and and if you're episode, telling if, me if that Star Picard, Picard still can't be finding its footing because at, in because episode we seventeen al- we already know where Star Trek Picard is going to end. They've already announced, hey, we're ending at thirty episodes. Right. Uh, what is Star Trek Next Generation season two episode thirteen? What is that episode? Okay. Star Trek episodes, season two. What episode did you say? Thirteen. What is thirteen? Thirteen. Oh gosh, come! I said okay. There it goes. So, uh, elementary dear. Oh my gosh, that's a horrible one. That is where Data does the Sherlock Holmes. That's not bad. It's not horrible. Okay, that would be episode what twenty eight in thirty eight in total. Yes. That means the entire runtime of Picard no, ep- plus episode eight. twenty twenty. It's twenty nine. Episode twenty nine. Twenty. Okay, so that 29. would be the the precursor to the series finale of Picard. Yes, is Data as Sherlock Holmes? You're telling me that that is when TNG found its footing. Yes, but yet Star Trek Picard is a terribly written thing that disregards but, all of but canon the thing, the thing that's is, ever the thing, been written. Yes, because, okay, here's the difference, though, is between TNG and TOS was, what, 20 years? Mm -hmm. And they had to rebrand it, and then now uh, you're using the exact same... Guess what? It's been 30 years since DS. Yes, but they're using the same IP. And they're like, hey, let's do this. One character. Two characters. Two. Yep. And then all of season three is all the characters. Which they better be good, right? They better be good. Yeah. And then this season, there's three IP, the original, four or four, because you yeah. have Guinan and Q. Yeah. I thought and Guinan and Q did phenomenally this season. I want more of it. I want more of it, right. They they didn't even give me enough to fill one episode. 
That's the problem. It's right. it's good. It's good. I like what's going on. I don't. It, but it's taking ten episodes to give me what TNG gives me in one episode. Heck, even even Voyager had better Q episodes. Yeah. Even and Ooh. Voyager Q Ooh. had a baby. I I love that that Q constantly. We'll we'll end on this because we have to go. Yeah. Uh, I love that Q just constantly tormented John Luke Picard, and he shows up on Voyager one time. And Janeway goes, I don't have time for this shit, Q. <laughs> Get off my bridge. <laughs> it's a lot like Mariner going, no, we don't have time for your bullshit today, Q. Go away. Oh, Mariner. I just wanted you to understand the the cosmos. Yeah. Anyway. Uh... Thank anyway. you for watching. I've already done the outro one, so go watch the previous one. Yep. And $2 uh, from Big Big Spoon, one ninety nine. Two $2 from Big Big Spoon that will never be used to feed his child.